Hi, I'm Tristan Miller, and you're listening to Positive and Negative, a podcast about the intersectionality between mental health and the arts. Today on the program, I speak with comedian and writer John F. O'Donnell about his experience with bipolar one disorder. John has a comedy special called The Manic Depressive Chocolate Fountain Operator. And you can go to jfodcomedyspecial.com to check it out there. And you can use a promo code jfodspecial to see it for free. John just asks that you check out his podcast, Take Your Pills, Psychopath. Here he is talking about finding balance between health and the art. The quicker that you can let some of that bullshit go and really, really take care of yourself, the better. Like if you could... Uh, you know, let go of drinking and drugs and really monitor your your sleep pattern and tr- really actually eating well is so important, like a low inflammation diet. Mm-hmm. I know it sounds weird, but it actually is. Like they're finding out that there's just as many neurons in the stomach as in the brain, which is mm-hmm. so interesting. Um, if you do all of that stuff, because then you can really have clarity and focus on why you're actually around doing it, which is to put together a body of work and to try to become successful. This podcast is brought to you in part by Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash Tristan J. Miller to support us there and receive bonus content and early access to uncut interviews of this program, as well as bonus content from the other podcasts I produce, as well as affirmations and other content that's not available anywhere else. I'd like to thank Billy Conahan for use of the track To Be or Not off of his album Leaping with Intent to Fly, which is available on Bandcamp and iTunes and is streamable on Spotify. All right. Let's get to the interview. Thanks for checking it out, man. Yeah. Um, how long did that take to get going? What, to put that material Yeah, on? well, that and like to just, you know. To put out? Okay. Yeah, make a special is like a big... Yeah, it was, uh, well, I released an album, I guess, like, late 2013 or early 2014, and then mm-hmm. this I recorded late 2016, but it didn't come out until, like, early 2018, because oh, really? of all sorts of crazy shit that happened to me. Um, but, yeah, it was just a cool opportunity, because it was during this comedy festival in D.C., mm-hmm. and... It was at this, this good club down there, DC Improv, and they have this side room that's not super big that we made look really cool. Yeah. They have, cool, they have really fun shows in there. And then a bunch of like DC creative people and filmmakers that I was friends with all like DIY were down to do it. You that's know? great. And so like I self-produced it and self-financed it and everything like that. But we did it for like a, just a few thousand dollars and it looks like a Yeah, that looks, it looks, yeah, it looks like a proper special. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I tried to get distribution that didn't happen and yeah. then I just put it out on Vimeo and demand. I'm still trying to figure out if I can, I want to try to see if I can get the audio onto like satellite radio or something. Sure, yeah. So it's like, it's one of those things where you could have these specials but they're kind of like, some specials get a ton of attention and yeah. a ton of money behind them and stuff but yeah. a lot of them just sort of get a little bit stuck in this limbo thing. Yeah, so. absolutely. Specifically, yeah. But I'm really proud of it. You know? Yeah, you should be. It's quite good. I feel like it's been more of a trend lately of like comedians just self-producing the specials and not going to a production company. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah. I think that's kind of by default how that happens. I think for some people it works out. Yeah. You know? And I still think that I can 
you know, I still think that I'll figure out how to get it out there more. Yeah, right sure. now, I just sort of like individually give it to people. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. one by one. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, that's my promotional like, style. Like Rudy Ray Moore out of the back of his car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Just, it's like, it's very personal. Yeah. You know? um, we haven't said the name. I have been recording this time all the time. I, we, uh, oh, I didn't have, even know that. Yeah. We hadn't said the title. What is it called? Oh, it's called the uh, the Manic Depressive Chocolate Fountain Operator. Which is amazing. It sounds like something out of a Roll Doll book. Yeah, it it's sounds great. like it's kind of in your wheelhouse. Yeah, absolutely. You know I mean? um, yeah, I didn't go with the whole brevity thing for the title. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how long did you take to put together all that material? Uh, I would say that was stuff that would have been probably like... It was like four to five years worth of stuff. But, okay. You know, picking and choosing things. Mm-hmm. And then maybe some, a few things that were even older. Like there's a, I guess that's so funny. Like one of my signature bits is the <laughs> bipolar disorder song. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, <laughs> that's sure, just sure. A, That's a fun one. But I actually, I wrote that probably in, I don't know, like 2010 or 2011. Oh, wow. Because I had a really, unfortunately, I had a really extreme manic episode Mm -hmm. uh, in like, in 2008, right? And I'd already been establishing myself in New York for a few years. And Mm -hmm. I, basically, that was like one of my biggest nightmares coming true is that after I've been trying to establish myself in New York, which is very challenging, Mm -hmm. that I would have like one of these like big public episodes and start burning bridges and all that shit. And it happened. And it was, it was, it was really, really difficult. And challenging for me after the manic episode and then a really extended depression to kind mm-hmm. of, you know, I guess just to find the, uh, the, I don't know, the strength and the courage to come back into the scene and try to mm-hmm. rebuild things. But because I'd always been, you know, kind, hopefully like really kind to people and, yeah. you know, I had a lot of goodwill built up. So people were excited for me to come back. And I decided that so nobody felt like they had to walk on eggshells around me or anything like that, that I wasn't going to try to brush one single speck of dirt underneath the carpet about what I've been through. Um, mm-hmm. So I started talking about it on stage immediately. Uh-huh. And that was really challenging to figure out how to make something that personal and vulnerable funny. Yeah, yeah. So it forced me actually to become more of an autobiographical comedian mm-hmm. and I became a, a better comedian. Like I look back of at the material I did before that episode and I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like, yeah. I'd, be get, I'd be getting laughs, but it was not... It's it's not for me. I don't think it's anywhere near as good as what I'm doing now. I guess. Um, well, that's good. That's so good. that was interesting. You know, it was almost mm-hmm. like um, overcoming some adversity and then having that creative outlet mm-hmm. uh, in order to kind of like heal and in a way that adversity making the creative outlet stronger. That's why I always say for people that are dealing with any sort of uh, mental health issues, diagnosed or, or not, mental illness sort of things, for me having you know, the ability to get to do comedy has fucking been, I know maybe I obviously for me, you know, I, I think I'm on the right amount of medication and I do a lot of lifestyle stuff in terms of, you know, kind of exercise and different things like that. Um, uh, but the creative outlet for me is just as important. And I don't Mm -hmm. know if everybody necessarily can realize that like, Oh yeah, have your creative outlet, but it's actually something that allows not just me, like people too that are dealing with this stuff to take the experience and sort of rearrange it in their head, turn it into a story and then push it out and express it and connect with other people about it. And mm-hmm. that really is one of the most fundamental ways to heal. Yeah. And to 
not just feel like shit about yourself (laughs) for being labeled in this very stigmatized thing that people just don't understand Mm -hmm. and that makes us potentially feel really defeated about ourselves as people. What kind of material were you doing before that all happened? Uh, I would just do a lot of blackface stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Could you fucking imagine? (laughs) Oh my god. Yeah, I was a minstrel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I was not, so it was better. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, (laughs) You got me. I mean, some stuff I would do, but it was like, I can't even remember. But one thing Mm -hmm. that was a a carryover that then I didn't do a piece of material I didn't do for years and then actually brought back for the special was that chocolate fountain operator bit and that bit at the end about the digging myself in and out of a hole comedian. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is fun. Yeah. But that was actually something. But the other stuff, I I honestly can't really even remember that much of it. It was a long time ago. (laughs) That makes sense. How long have you been doing stand-up? 19 years. Oh, wow. (laughs) That's so crazy to say that out loud. So next year you're going to be on 20. How How do you feel about it? Uh, I feel, I feel good about it. Yeah. You know, I, uh, it's the idea of not doing it is just ridiculous. I yeah, don't yeah. know. I, you know, like I can't, I was, I mean, I like hanging out with my family, but when I'm sort of home in like, say like the suburbs and stuff, mm. it's just like, I can't really, mm. I get real, I get, I get really anxious there yeah, after I, a little while. I call it itchy. Itchy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It is weird though. The 19 years thing, because then it's like. I've had, you know, I've had some successes for sure, some setbacks and things like that. But it's a weird thing because when you're doing something so long and then if you want to, subjectively in your head, you feel like you should have accomplished something. Or then you look mm-hmm. at you look at friends that, uh, that you perceive have accomplished more. Or maybe mm-hmm. they have or have had more mainstream success in terms of like late night sets and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, but... I get to keep creating content and I know that I am able to come up with stuff that I think is unique and interesting and people are digging. So I'm just going to keep doing that. You know, I was just on, I had some cool experiences, you know, I got to be on a show for a TV show for five years. Yeah. Uh, This political comedy show called Redacted Tonight. I did like over 220 segments for the show. That's amazing. Which was a really, really cool experience. Uh, and now I'm unemployed, (laughs) but it's okay. I'm putting together a new act. Which is why you're here in this podcast (laughs) and not at WTF. I understand. No, no, it's Um, fun. I like to, uh, I like to just, I like to hop over to the, uh, the Halsey Isle and take a nice jaunt. Oh, for sure. For sure. It was Um, cool to see actually. I haven't been in the area in a minute. Yeah. It's really all, let me put it this way. Yeah. Um, all those small businesses are closing and they're, we're going to get a Starbucks soon. I'm sure. Oof. Yeah, it's at that point. Um, you went to University of Michigan for what? Uh, I have no idea. No, you don't? <laughs> no, I, uh, for, I, uh, I went there for undergrad, and the, the truth is the major that I was pursuing yeah. was called uh, dramatic writing. So it was a screenwriting oh, okay. and playwriting major, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I was pursuing that major... I studied abroad for a year in Ireland, in uh, Dublin, ooh, very at, cool. at Trinity College, a really cool experience. Mm-hmm. And I was fulfilling different criteria for that major because it was like a selective major. And then that year that I was away, they mm-hmm. disbanded the major because there were so few people in it or oh, whatever. No. So, so people that were, only people that were officially <laughs> declared could get it, so I couldn't. So I just ended up getting a general studies degree. Uh-huh. But for years, 
I told people I got a dramatic writing degree uh-huh, because uh-huh. I was like embarrassed about the general study degree because mm-hmm. we're kind of shamed about that for some weird reason or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, by the time I was in college, I was just like splitting my time between stand up and college. So I already knew I was going to be a comedian. Yeah. So was writing the first interest that you had like growing up or was it always I, to be funny? I was always to be funny. I, um, I remember being young and being able to socially be funny or make yeah, people yeah. laugh and how good that felt mm-hmm. uh, and being like, oh, I'm into this. And then getting a little bit older and then when life really starts to kick you in the teeth mm-hmm. and then finding out that I could kind of process that pain by expressing it in a funny way. So that kind of therapeutic aspect combined mm-hmm. with how enjoyable it feels to make people laugh. I was like, yeah, this is it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was saying I wanted to be a comedian ever since I was a kid. I actually went on this, uh, I went on a vacation to Jamaica with my mom and my brother when I was in seventh grade. Right? Uh-huh. And we went to this, this timeshare. It was, I guess it was a friend of my mom's timeshare. And it was called Club Caribbean, and it had like two stars, and mm-hmm. you know what I mean. <laughs> so it was basically these sort of, and it was great, but it was sort of these like, it was basically like these sort of outdoor kind of almost like hut like structures with these thatched roofs. Kind of like and a bungalow, you, sort of, I guess, like yeah, a, yeah. like an yeah, bungalow kind of sounds a little too fancy for yeah, what it was. Yeah, sure. But there were like air conditioning units in it and the thing, and yeah, whatever. yeah, yeah. And um, it was mostly European people staying there. You huh. know what I mean, and. European people are less sort of like some are less fussy about you know their kind of like living like like mm-hmm. their vacation homes like mm-hmm. whatever their hotels and stuff like that. Um, so we're there, and towards the end of the time there they're doing they're doing a talent show right. Mm-hmm. So I ended up signing up for the talent show, and I made a friend there this Canadian dude. So his father and then this other guy that I made friends with he was like I was in seventh grade he was like this eighteen year old kid or guy from New York who didn't really have anybody to hang out with because everybody was older or younger so he was hanging out with us and him and this Canadian kid's father like wrote me material and I memorized it and stuff like that yeah yeah during the day and I went and I performed it Mm -hmm. and I won the talent show and the prize was a bottle of rum (laughs) but they wouldn't give it to me because I was like a child and I can't remember most of the jokes, but I remember a couple, and they're fucking awful. Of course. And it's the only time I've ever had anybody write stand-up for me. That's um, amazing. But, uh, so, this, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the jokes I remember, it's so yeah, bad. Okay. One of them was just like, it was like, oh yeah, you know, my mom, she's pretty dumb. <laughs> Always a strong star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the other day, uh, you know, she was trying to get a, a close-up picture of the horizon. Mm-hmm. Oh God! Okay, <laughs> and then this one is fucked up. I go, but everybody laughed. I was, <laughs> I was like, oh, I remember I opened. I was like, hey, I paid all the bartenders uh, uh, extra money so they make your drinks extra strong. She'd laugh at some of my jokes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I was, I said, I made one of the w- worst mistakes of my life uh, the other day. I asked uh, a local. Uh, to play hide and go seek at night, the only time I can see him is when they smile. Oh boy! So just like yeah. cliche racist, uh, yeah. Yeah. everybody went nuts for that. An oldie but not a goodie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. An oldie but it never should have been eat. Yes. But uh, but yeah, I won. That's <laughs> one that. And then I didn't that do... moment on, you yeah. knew. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you said you had a major manic episode in two thousand eight, right? Yeah. 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 Was that the first big one, or had you had? Other ones? Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, that was the first one minus, like, three others. Okay, sure. <laughs> I, uh, the first time actually happened my sophomore year of college. Uh-huh. I was, like, 19 or 20. Right around um, when you started doing stand-up? <laughs> yeah, actually, I started doing stand-up after the first episode, yeah. to be honest. I was back at home. In, so I was going to school out in Ann Arbor, right? So, But I was mm-hmm. back at home in Jersey. I had to take a little bit of time off from school. Like, I missed part of a semester. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was and then I was back over the summer. Well, actually, no, the way that it worked is I had to leave at some point during my first semester of my sophomore mm-hmm. year. And then by the time the second semester came around, I didn't want to stay at home, but I wasn't ready to be enrolled. So I went back to Ann Arbor and I just like, got a room and was just miserable and depressed. Uh-huh. It was fucking rough. And then I came back home after that and started hanging out with a, a couple of friends, a couple of good friends from high school. And mm-hmm. me and my one buddy, we got like really into exercise and we were like really going for it. Mm-hmm. And I decided that I really wanted to try to do stand up and I think like the combination of the exercising and then then I was going into New York and I was doing open mics. Those were the first shows I ever did. And doing stand-up, it kind of helped me get out of that depression. Yeah. And then when I got back to then I, when I got back to school, I started kind of, you know, doing the open mics in Ann Arbor and around the Detroit area and stuff like that and going to school. Mm-hmm. And I was like figuring it out and maybe I'd get some laughs here. But I was initially I was so I was just trying to be like some sort of weird combination of Bill Hicks and Mitch Hedberg. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was, I was like learning about Bill Hicks and Noam Chomsky at the same time. Yeah. I was like, what <laughs> the fuck is going on? Uh-huh. Uh, so I was like trying to do like Israel-Palestine jokes yes. without, without the skill set yeah. to pull that off at all. Absolutely. And so then I then I did that, that, that year in Ireland. Yeah. And I was doing stand-up out there. How was that? It was interesting because during that time, this was towards the buildup to the war in Iraq, and George oh, W. Sure, Bush sure. was president. Ooh. You know, and you were in middle school or whatever. And, uh, <laughs> and you're not wrong. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and and so when you were in you were in Ireland at that time, yeah, yeah, you were a complete asshole until proven otherwise. Mm-hmm. Like people would straight up just be like. Oh, you're an American. You're a Yank. Did you vote for George W. Bush? Yeah. Like first thing, I'd be like, No, I didn't vote for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the beautiful thing about being in elementary school during that time. I couldn't have, and so I was kind of absolved. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you couldn't fucked up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so anyway, so I'm there doing that, and then I realized that I was like, Okay. Me being outside of that culture and seeing it really did give me an interesting mm-hmm. perspective to do comedy, right? So. I really feel like I kind of found more of my comedy voice there and got funnier. And then mm-hmm. when I came back, I remember like the manager at the first like home club, uh, the Ann Arbor Comedy Showcase. He was like, he's like, oh, he's like, you went away and you came back. And he's like, now you're funny. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, thanks, yeah. Roger. Um, do you find that people get uncomfortable when you men- mention mental illness on stage? Uh, sometimes, Yes. Sometimes, no. I think it depends how I do it. I do find sure. it challenging to talk about because I, even though I have been talking about it for a long time on stage, and mm-hmm. I'm actually now 
even really leaning more into it where I'm kind of making mo- at least like you know showcase sets in the city or 10 12 maybe 15 minutes usually mm-hmm. 8 to 10 but for those sets I'm pretty much these days I'm pretty much only talking about it mm-hmm. and so sometimes when the set's really working it's good but when it's not oh, it's, yeah. it feels really there. rough because it's an extra type of vulnerability for me I think even though I'm okay talking about it I still do feel vulnerable about it because I feel this real I don't know. I feel this real draw or need to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of because you think I it's important. Know. I do. I think it's important. And then when people are like not on board, that sucks. When you like, not only are you trying to laugh, you think this thing is like important. You know. Yeah, that yeah. But I try to keep down. perspective on it. You know, yeah. it's like there is something. I think there is something. I wish we didn't have to use the word important. You know no. what I mean? Like I wish the word could be what contributory. I think yeah. there's something. I think there's something contributory about mm-hmm. it, something that I can somewhat more uniquely contribute doing that. And so when someone's yeah, not yeah. connecting with it, and I've, it, it, yeah, it's it sucks. Yeah, because you know? I, I, yeah, I've had people come up to show uh, me after shows because I talk about it too on yeah, stage. Yeah, we're in the same sandbox. Yeah, exactly. You know I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and they go, well, thank you, you so much. You just have a lot less sand, which yeah. I like. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. You're doing awesome. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I have different sand, different yeah. colored sand. Oh, you got different colored sand. sand. Oh, yep. that's cool. Yeah, those sort of those those big bottles. Yep, that, exactly. Yeah, yep. yeah. <laughs> I've organized anyway. Yeah. So, um, but people have come over, you know, and go, "Thank you so much for talking about this." Whereas yeah. you don't really get that when you're talking about like dicks or whatever it is on stage. <laughs> if you do, it's no super one guy weird. goes like, "Hey, thanks. I have a tiny dick too. Thanks for like." <laughs> <laughs> or no, or thanks. Hey, I got a really big dick. Yeah, I, yeah. I feel yeah. terrible. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah, we're so underrepresented. <laughs> you know, precisely. There's no. So yeah, there isn't. Um, certain level of totally yeah. yeah like I've gotten some some very very appreciative humbling yeah, compliments absolutely. you know what I mean <clears throat> so when you're manic and you know mm-hmm. this uh, you start spending money recklessly oh right? yeah so I was spending a bunch of money and one of the things that and I you know honestly I had an episode earlier in 29 like early in 2019 right. is, is fucked up like um, and it's you know it's part of the reason that I I lost my job you know because you know how the saying goes like have an extended manic, you know, have a manic episode and take an extended leave of absence from work once, uh, shame on me. Mm. Have a manic episode and take an extended leave of absence from work twice, even more shame on me. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so I donated all this money, right? And I donated, one of the things I did is I donated $1,000 to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Yeah. It's just cool. I'm glad that my money went there and yeah. not someplace else or whatever. But here's the thing. I was manic. I did that and then completely forgot about it. And only found out months and months later when I was, you know, super depressed and unemployed and can really use the money. Yeah, yeah. And I can't think of anything more ironic <laughs> than my charitable contribution <laughs> making me want to blow my brains out. <laughs> Come on. Now, Come what, on. Now, what I will it's say. It's actual true irony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what I will say, John, is there is a bright side. Uh, tax season is coming up. Uh-huh. And you can write that oh, off. Oh, shit. You can get that money back. Ooh, that's so good. Um, I didn't know. I didn't think about that. Uh, but when were you first diagnosed? Um, I was diagnosed in. I guess it would be the year the yeah the fall of the year two thousand. Okay, so you've been doing this for a while. You gotten really good at it. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> yeah, it's been a long, rough road. Yeah. I really, really think as best I can think that that I have things on track you know mm-hmm. I, my psychiatrist is optimistic that I can stay well long term I finally think that I'm I've kind of like combined 
the traditional, you know, uh, psychopharmacological Such a fun of, word. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you know, basically of being on medication yeah. on lithium and lamictal okay. with all the lifestyle stuff. You yeah. know, I'm... I'm I'm sober. I eat really healthy. Like mm-hmm. I'm fucking vegan for two years. Wow. I uh, you know I exercise as much. Like I do a lot of yoga mm-hmm. and I you know I go to guided meditation groups. I'm very cognizant of my sleep pattern. Even if I can't fall asleep till late, I'll make sure then that I'll sleep in that I'm mm-hmm. getting enough of the sleep and you know and I have a good psychiatrist. I recently lost my talk therapist because it was somebody I had in D.C. She was very mm-hmm. good. And then she was kind enough to continue teletherapy with me since I moved back. But that is just kind of like run its course. So I really have to be proactive about getting that. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing that's kind of missing. But I've started going to uh, support groups too. Oh, cool. And I want to start volunteering with uh, this mental health organization called uh, uh, NAMI. Yeah, yeah. National Alliance of uh, Mental Illness. So yeah. I'm going to start volunteering with them. Great. And I'm just, yeah, I just... Uh, I just, I feel like if I can stay well, I think that I can put to, continue to put together an interesting body of work and I can hopefully contribute something positively mm-hmm. and, and just sort of make this thing viable or do something interesting. Did yeah. you have at any point that um, mindset of to be creative, you had to be unwell? Like they were linked somehow? Let's see, did I? Uh... uh Maybe to an extent, not this sort of, not the embracing of like the mad genius artist yeah. thing, but the embracing of like, oh, if I'm on medication, I'm, it's my brain is going to be like, I'm like walking through glue and I'm mm-hmm. not going to be able to come up with anything creative, which for people when they are over medicated or not on the right medication can absolutely happen. Like cognitive dulling is a thing. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that's always going to be the case. Mm-hmm. And Right now, when I'm on, I don't feel that way. So if I can be on this and feel well, I'm fine with it. And I think for me to tolerate being on this lithium and to have my energy level be good and and physically feel good, I have to live really healthily. I think Mm -hmm. if I was drinking all the time and stuff like Mm -hmm. that and smoking, whatever, that that wouldn't work for me. So it's a good motivator to stay well. Mm -hmm. And what's really interesting, I don't know, maybe you know this, is that the latest thinking in the uh, psychiatrist world about treating bipolar, at least bipolar one disorder, is that after all these years and all of these atypical antipsychotics and different mood stabilizers they've tried, they've come back around and be like, oh no, lithium is the gold standard. It's still the best treatment mm. for it. So now it's starting to be uh, prescribed more because think about this. I was never prescribed lithium until uh, 2014. Wow. So for, for almost 14 years of dealing with the illness before that was ever prescribed to me. Wow. That's and that's what works and I'm on. You yeah. know? Good. Yeah, it actually makes me a little emotional because that's like really frustrating. Yeah, you know? I would imagine. And being on and off, if if an atypical antipsychotic works for somebody, that's great. Uh, but those have di- been very difficult for me to tolerate, and something that I really, really don't personally don't want to have to be on. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to um, discourage anybody from it if it helps. Like, I think I. I think that I'm. I'm still as sort of medication as 
more last resort, try some other things first, because I do think that there is an over-medicated culture that we're in, Mm -hmm. but I do think that it is definitely a viable and important option for some people, and I'm definitely one of those people. Yeah. Yeah, I can agree. Um, When I started taking medication, it was after I tried everything else, and I was like, okay, we're here. Yeah. So we got to try, and let's see how it goes. And it's been going pretty well. What are you taking? Um, uh, I'm on Lamictal. Yeah. And then, uh, like, a couple anti-anxiety. I feel really lucky. I have a mild case. I I feel really lucky that way. Um, Yeah. That's interesting, is that Lamictal, I think Lamictal is a pretty, actually pretty amazing medication for people Mm -hmm. with bipolar disorder because generally speaking outside of the very very rare instance of the skin rash stuff yeah uh the side effect profile is pretty minimal yeah the only thing that's done to me is it's making my hair fall out a little bit are you sure it's connected to that um it i didn't really notice it until i started taking it so i assume but i started like is that a side effect yeah it can be okay it's very it's like not a typical one okay but i also just started taking a bunch of supplements and stuff and then it's kind of evened out and oh really yeah um it'll be fine i'll be fine so lamictal like generic is lamotrigine yes they uh it um yeah it works better for for bipolar two disorder, Which as a sense. standalone for bipolar one disorder, uh, it can help, but it's doesn't it's on its own. It's not a strong enough uh, thing to pr- prophylactic or protect against uh, manic episodes. Yeah, because you have that fun psychosis part. Yeah, which I learned the the hard way because for a long time I was just on lamictal, and there mm-hmm. were certain doctors that were like, "Oh yeah, you could just be on lamictal," mm-hmm. and it didn't work. And then there would be times where. I would be put on Lamictal and something else, like something mm-hmm. like Seroquel or Respiridone or mm-hmm. something, or Spiridol or whatever. All these, ugh, Respiridone? Yeah. Is, is it Respiridol? Respiridone? Uh, I don't know. Whatever, whatever it is, that one's rough. That one's really rough. Um, so at times when I was younger, I'd be like, I'm just not taking this. I'll just take the Lamictal. Mm-hmm. But that's it. That's not, that's not enough. But I was actually on a level of Lamictal, I'm sorry, of Lithium that... I found it was like really pretty like draining for me. So my psychiatrist said, she was like, look, we can lower it if we throw something else into the mix. Mm-hmm. And she was like, we could do either Lamictal or Abilify. And mm-hmm. I, in the past, have not had a good experience with Abilify. But it's also possible that I have, I like, I just have a real sort of still have a real like angst or anxiety towards... Uh, any sort of anything that's in the antipsychotic realm. Oh sure. So I was like, look, if we, if we can do this with lamictal, I'll absolutely do mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And then the lithium got bumped down, so I'm actually like very close or at the very bottom end of the therapeutic range where there's enough lithium in my blood for it to be in the therapeutic range because it's a weird thing with that medication where for it to be. Uh, therapeutic it has to be relatively not super relatively close to the toxicity range yeah so you have a good amount of lithium in the blood and then that's why it has to be monitored and stuff like that mm-hmm. so now where i'm at it's like the lower end to that sort of thing and i was like look am i gonna be okay like i just i can't i just don't want to get sick again you know yeah, i yeah. want to be able to be a fucking comedian i don't want to be tired all the time i don't want to not be able to remember people's names and shit like that you know um and she was like, if you have both of these things and you do these lifestyle things, 
she goes, you know, she's like, I've had patients that have stayed well for, you know, 20 years or more, you know. So, I mean, enough is enough for this. And I think, you know, I'm a little bit older than you. How old are you? I'm 27. Okay. Well, let's see if the difference. So, I'm 38, right? Mm-hmm. For me, there was a lot of self, like self-stigma to overcome. A lot of, mm-hmm. like, this is a death sentence sort of stuff, right? And I've noticed, and maybe it's people that are even younger than you, maybe it's your age, where people, kids, younger kids are, or younger folks, they're dealing with it a little better. Like, they're yeah. not dealing with, it's not this sort of, death rattle shame event you know yeah 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 yeah. which I'm excited about which I think is great but I think for people in, I think people that are older than me it's, it's like a don't talk about it thing yeah. for people in my age it's kind of like okay we're talking about it but this is really fucking hard yeah yeah you know yeah and I think for younger folks it's still challenging but it's just almost just like yeah I have this and this and this and this yeah. and they can kind of talk about it more matter of factly without it feeling like it defines their defines them or like defeats them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you think there's anything to that? I mean, I think it has still a lot to do with the adaptive adaptability of my generation and generation Z of like being on the internet so much as well of like all that information being shared. There's as much as the internet is a cesspool of hate, it also is incredibly supportive. And so you get like online communities that are there and then also with the widespread amount of information just about mental illness in general and things in general um people have a better understanding of what they mean that being said you get into you know certain pockets of the country or the world and they don't either believe it really exists or like you just they just have a completely different definition of it yeah it's what it also kind of there's a real feeling i think in my generation or at least for me there had been Mm -hmm. of like oh like my potential will not be fulfilled now oh interesting yeah. yeah, like it's like I'm this damaged version of myself and mm, what mm. could have been sort of thing. Yeah, whereas like now it's like, well, you know, it's just like it's like having diabetes. You have to make sure your blood sugar is fine. You have to make sure your blood level, toxicity levels are fine. Like it's the same, yeah. similar thing. Can you describe what it was like? Because I've never been so lucky to have a full manic episode. <laughs> Can you describe what it's like? And I think in general, a lot of people understand the depression part of yeah. it you know because everyone gets bummed out from time to time but what is it like to like really be Just, up yeah. and like well i mean there for me there is an exhilarating aspect to it mm-hmm. i say aspect because there's so much more that is like not sort of fun right because yeah. i think People's perception of a manic episode is that you just have all this energy and you're feeling great, you're super charismatic, and you're you know you're you're hooking up with a bunch of people and it's just this wild, awesome sort of party, right? Uh, there are definitely elements of that kind of exhilaration, and your mind is kind of clicking on all cylinders, and you really do feel like the alpha version of yourself. But that for me is more. The kind of hypomanic phase, which yeah. you know about, which is like mania light. But then it crosses a threshold into some really, really weird, messed up thinking and eventually into psychosis and stuff like that. So your mind, you know, I, I start filtering out all sorts of things that don't feed into whatever delusion I want to sort of chase. Mm-hmm. And then what starts to happen is you start to, at least, okay, I start to... Uh, 
I start to be acting so differently that my friends feel uncomfortable around me, but I think mm-hmm. they just don't understand me, so I'm agitated with them. So I kind of push them away. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'll be meeting new people and I don't have any frame of reference to know me, so they find me interesting and engaging and mm-hmm. it will reinforce some of the things that I'm you know, talking about and things like that. And then I will get very, very grandiose is the word that's always used in like the... The, uh, medical literature yeah. but it's true I, it's a good word for it I guess. Yeah. So it gets very grandiose and I get very messianic it's yeah. really really weird where it's like I get convinced that I'm somehow this really really special entity and it's on me to uh, you know to Sometimes. my actions to either create a heaven on earth scenario or or a hell on earth scenario and like I'll be goddamn if I'm gonna let hell on earth happen (laughs) Uh, and then I can't really eloquate what that thing is but Mm -hmm. you just and then I also start perceiving that people are sort of like acknowledging me or know what's up but are doing it in real subtle ways where they don't want to like reveal because Mm -hmm. they're like helping me behind the scenes or something like that and I have this weird thing where I know for me that like marijuana is like the devil for me. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's it just THC makes my brain go fucking insane. Like mm-hmm. if I was the poster child for legalization, <laughs> that shit would be a class A drug forever. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and of course, I support legalization for medicinal use and stuff, but it's just not for me. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing. Like, people, like the bipolar brain sometimes like sometimes it works. Maybe even for, but people with bipolar one. THC can really fuck you up. Um, yeah. At least for me. So, But it's so weird. So I never smoke marijuana. But when I start getting hypomanic and manic, for whatever reason, something flips and I'm really into it. Like I not only smoke it, I like crave it. Interesting. And sort of just try to, you know, maneuver my entire life to be able to just access it. Interesting. I don't know what the fuck that is about. Mm-hmm. And I'll just like, and that just kind of continues to spin things out and stuff like that. But then I'll just, I'll get into all sorts of, crazy things like one when I was in so in 2008 when I had that episode Mm -hmm. I was manic for a really long time because it wasn't getting treated and I was doing a lot of drugs and drinking a lot I was like smoking a ton of weed and drinking a ton of wine right so Mm -hmm. I ended up during that episode I started getting manic in April of of 2008 Mm -hmm. I was in a trip to New Orleans actually like a comedy festival and then I came back and I started ramping up and by you know, June or so, I was definitely really manic. And I planned earlier that year to go and do shows in Ireland and then make my way up to Edinburgh to do the mm. Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was supposed to do a show with this Irish comic. I mean, you know, uh, uh, I was going to split a stage with her. We were going to call the show Irish American. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this comic, Eleanor Tiernan, she's great. And uh, so I s- still went over and like went to Ireland my family was like John you're sick like please we can't stop you from doing this but just like don't just so fucked up and dangerous uh so I went over there and I was in Ireland and I was super paranoid that like the CIA and remnants of the Nazis were after me but I thought I was being protected by the IRA and Bono yeah and, yeah, uh, yeah all yeah. this stuff and I'm running through Ireland uh-huh. all this crazy shit I end up getting arrested and stuff mm-hmm. like that oh my and gosh. I'm in the hospital and all this sort of stuff and 
then get out and then go to Belfast. I don't know. Actually, didn't get into the. I didn't end up in the hospital that time. I just ended up in jail. But I got out. The charges mm-hmm. got dismissed. I went up to Belfast and did shows. And I went up to Edinburgh. And I had like comics like that I knew there and friends there. But they yeah, knew yeah. something was not right, and mm-hmm. they somehow survived there and then made my way back on a plane and da 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 and was just burning my New York City life to the ground and all that stuff. So, yeah, I guess. That's more of an explanation of what being manic is like. But it's also, it's really terrifying. Like Mm -hmm. that amount of mental energy that I feel and Mm -hmm. and there's the deep, deep belief in kind of like a pending apocalyptic sort of thing or just sort of government fucked up situations and really just just feeling it and believing it so deeply. And there's a lot of emotional stuff. It's very emotionally overwhelming. It'd be like a lot of kind of like like crying but like yeah. really like really kind of like gutted angst riddled crying and, yeah and then it, and then at other times it'd just be super super funny interacting with somebody you know like weird things and charismatic and really weird fucked up ways like i remember i was up all night one time and i was walking near my place and there was a, a woman who was walking to her car and it was pretty early in the morning she'd like was like stayed at her friend's house last night or it was kind of like and and I was and I just started talking to her for a couple of minutes she was wearing like a Daria t-shirt we were talking about that and we were laughing and then I was like oh I was like would you mind uh, can you just like drive me home or whatever and she's like yeah that's cool and I literally lived like right where the car was <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> but I so I, but I just had her drive me around for a while you know what I mean? And eventually, I was just so talking to her and hang. I would never do this. It's so weird. Yeah, yeah. I was just talking to her and hanging out and stuff like that, whatever. Eventually, and then eventually, she like took me back. She's like, wait, is this where we started? And I was like, yeah, I just wanted to hang out with you. And she's like, what the fuck? <laughs> and then I was like, do you want to come in and get tea? And she did. And we're having tea. Uh-huh. And then I was like, oh, there's this great vegan diner I love called Farewell. Do you want to mm-hmm. come with me? Like, my treat. She's like, yes, we're going there. All this is what I realized I don't have any money. We order all of this stuff. I have a couple of books with me. One was called like the Afro-Vegan about like the African vegan movement. Yeah. And then I had like a first edition of Noam Chomsky's 9-11 sure. book. Sure, sure. Like his short story or his compilation of essays about mm-hmm. uh, that he did right after 9-11. <laughs> and so instead of leaving money, I put those books down and we ran out the back and like dined and dashed. And she was like, what the fuck is going on? But she was like laughing because it was yeah, like an yeah, adrenaline yeah. thing. And then when she dropped me off, like, I went to, like, kiss her, and she kind of just, like, smiled and let me, like, half kiss her and gave me her phone number. What yeah. the fuck? Yeah. Like, yeah. something I could never pull <laughs> off or would want to pull off. Yeah, there's this thing of, like... Isn't that weird? Yeah, it's so strange. Because it's, like, a confidence thing or something? I, don't I know. think so. I don't know. It's, like, also, like, it feels like those kinds of scenarios are... They feel like a rom-com, number one. And number two, I feel like a lot of it is, like, when you're in a, a manic episode or hypomanic episode you think that every rule that you've ever known no longer applies to you at least that's how it's felt for me it's like no I'm the exception to everything people might find this behavior creepy normally but when it comes from me it's fine so that's the hell of a thing that's That's crazy so hypomanic episodes that you've had how long has the duration been? Oh, what's kind of fun is I have rapid cycling, so sometimes I'll be up for like four days and then crash and then up and then like like over the course of like a month I'll be like in like th- three or four cycles um, going up and down, up and down. That was specifically bad when I was still drinking. Yeah. Um, but I've had it last for as little as four days or as long as a month and a half. But like 
never more than that and I feel really lucky that way and I generally can sense that they're coming and can kind of circumvent my behavior oh that's good yeah, yeah. that episode it's so crazy that 2008 one mm-hmm. was from April until well into November that's like, fucking crazy that's so long I know I know that's oh so boy fucking crazy yeah, yeah. yeah sometimes they've been really long um but uh when you're say like hypomanic for mm. four days or something like that uh, do you find that you're having certain kind of positive experiences that are advantageous and your intuition is shot up and you're connecting with people or do you find that you're crossing boundaries and lines pretty quickly? Um, a little calm, a little calm um, yeah, yeah. But mostly it's just I'm very productive and I'm very like goal-oriented and I'm funny and I'm like... All the, the positive quote-unquote attributes, but then sometimes it's that I'm severely agitated and I don't like, and I get angry at everything. Yeah. And sometimes it's a combo of those two things. And for for someone to just have those, those two wolves fighting each other for four days and then be fine on, like, you have that on Monday and then by, you know, Friday you're fine, like, that is so, I'm sure, difficult for other people to deal with. Also, internally, it's like... I'm like, where am I? What am I doing? Yeah. Um, do you find it's hard to, like, stay healthy being a stand-up comedian? Because there's a lot of drinking and drugs and, like, late nights doing I comedy. I think when I was younger, I think in my I think in my 20s and maybe even early 30s, yeah. Like, when I came back to the scene uh, after being manic and stuff like that, I was probably about your age or so. Mm-hmm. And I... um. I was just like, I, I don't know, I, I like to say I wasn't actively trying to get myself sick, but I certainly wasn't doing everything to not no. be sick. And I would, you know, I wasn't smoking weed, but I would be, I would drink and I was smoking cigarettes and I would drink and, mm-hmm. you know, I'd stay out late, all of that sort of shit. Yeah. I think that it takes a certain level of, I think, maturity to be able to uh, bypass that. Like yeah. right now for me... I don't mind at all. I actually really prefer, I, I really like, you know, going out and being around comics and being around comedy shows and all that stuff and not drinking. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's an awesome way to save money. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You that, know? That's always been my recommendation for getting sober is like you yeah. save so much money. And it doesn't, uh, and the quitting smoking thing is the best thing I could ever done. Yeah. Um, uh, interestingly, I, I vaped CBD for a little while. That's mm. how I quit smoking. Mm. You know, yeah. yeah. And then, and then the uh, the vape broke, and I just stopped doing that too. But I mean, I don't. I think that CBD is what is a helpful thing for mm. for me. Um, but I just, I don't know. I just don't do that much. But uh, I, um, yeah, I do think that it can be challenging. But I think that. What I would say is to people that maybe are in a creative field like that and are dealing with something that I would say the quicker that you can let some of that bullshit go and really, really take care of yourself, the better. Like if you could, uh, you know, let go of drinking and drugs and really monitor your your sleep pattern and really actually eating well is so important, like a low inflammation diet i know it sounds weird but it actually is like they're finding out that there's just as many neurons in the stomach as in the brain which is so interesting um if you do all of that stuff 
Because then you can really have clarity and focus on why you're actually around doing it, which is to put together a body of work and to try to become successful Mm -hmm. uh, as a comedian or whatever you're doing. I would say that I have, over the years, because of how long it's taken me to really, really take this seriously, it's been a lot of pain that I've caused other people that I care about. It has been things that have been a lot of strain on my family. It has blown up some relationships. There's one that a really, really important relationship, um, somebody that I was living with, that still really hurts. And um, yeah, and so for me, it's kind of like a redemption in being able to talk about this stuff creatively and try to, uh, if at all possible, you know, create some more understanding and a little bit of, uh, you know, destigmatizing. You know, do you feel hopeful about? next few years for you i i do but i'm also like i felt hopeful in the past i used to would say like yeah you know but like hopefully i'll stay well you know so i am i am hopeful just because i have i have a psychiatrist telling mm-hmm. me that and i'm doing all this stuff but it's also like i'm hopeful because and i have this plan in place to an extent as in i've connected this with a couple of my friends but i really want to add more is that I have friends that have contact information. I asked my psychiatrist if I could do this, that have contact information for my psychiatrist that if I really start spinning off the rails and I have to get into a hospital, that they can contact her so that she mm. can facilitate that. And then I also have them, they know the addresses of the two hospitals that I would be my choices of where to go to and stuff okay. like that. So that's a pretty humbling thing to have to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but I feel like if it was in the reverse, I would, of course be more than willing and to you know be there for a friend of mine and i wouldn't be like oh this person did that you know <laughs> so i try to think about it like that yeah. but yeah so i i am i'm hopeful and also it's so funny this there's all that but then it's like also just continuing to make a comedy career viable oh yeah is it fucking challenging and crazy enough mm-hmm. outside of this you know yeah. so that's the thing where I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out that road uh, more. I have some window of time to figure that out, and it's okay. Uh, but um, but yeah, I am I'm I'm eternally optimistic. You have to be. Yeah, you, know, you have to be. Uh, you have to be optimistic and keep perspective on the fact that it's a a gift and a blessing just to even be able to do something creative like comedy. And focus on trying to put a body of work together because when those seeds of bitterness start to crystallize, mm-hmm. it com- is completely antithetical to coming up with anything interesting and creative. It just locks you out of that. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for spending this time with me. Yeah, this is so great. It's great to meet you, man. Good to meet you too. <laughs>